Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is a man that you will not want to look into his eyes because then you'd have to tell him that he's unsatisfied. Here's my co-host from the left coast. Here's Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben. I mean. So for this episode, we are joined by a singer-songwriter that I absolutely enjoy listening to, dating back to his record called Regret Over the Wires many years ago. His last full-length solo record, Hustle Up Starlings, that would have been a finalist for my record of the year back in 2017. His latest release is an EP entitled The Need to Know Vinyl Sessions that includes the darkly gorgeous On Our Death Day. Please welcome to the podcast, Matthew Ryan. Hello. Hello, guys. So I'm going to try my <laughs> I'm going to try my best not to be all fanboy with having you on the on the episode today, because um, as I mentioned in the in the intro, um, I am a big fan of your of your work. We'll we'll, we'll chat about uh, a little bit of that. Is it is it OK that I'm calling you a singer songwriter? I, I mean, I think that's yeah, that's 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 the you know, that's the known verbiage (laughs) (laughs) got it all right so the the premise of our podcast fairly simple we talk about music but as we do at the beginning of each of our podcasts i ask the all-important question so let's start with you wayne what t-shirt are you wearing uh when i was trying to think of something to tie in i almost thought i was going to double dip and do uh wear my let it be replacements album cover shirt but i actually found my cbgb shirt there we go. Nice. All right. All right. Nice. What teacher so are you? We're a bunch of old guys. <laughs> oh, um, absolutely. <laughs> I'm wearing my buddy Jesse Mallon's t-shirt. I just uh, went for uh, got some exercise before I got on here with you guys. And uh, he 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 makes excellent exercise t-shirts. I don't know if you know that about Jesse. <laughs> uh, I you know Jesse. I, I do know Jesse, and in fact, yeah. we'll 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 talk about. Uh, the, the the gig that you're doing in New York City here in a couple months with uh, him and some yeah. other some other great uh, great musicians, luminaries. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah. so in honor of our of uh, your record selection today, so I am wearing my 2017 tour shirt of Bash and Pop. So I saw Tommy oh, and man. the boys open up for the Psychedelic Furs a few years ago. And uh, well, I already shared this on another episode, got the obligatory selfie with Tommy that re- mm-hmm. remains one of my favorite selfies just because Tommy, Tommy convinced me. He's like, I know how to take really good selfies. And um, <laughs> so and, and he was right. He, he was right. It's a it's a great. Yeah. selfie. So, uh, uh, he's, so let's... He's, he's really kept up with the time, you know, <laughs> So let's start with uh, let's start with your new music. So the EP is entitled "The Need to Know Vinyl Sessions." Um, so I guess my question is, why just why just three songs? You uh, you changing your approach on us releasing music uh, as uh, singles or EPs as opposed to full length records? Uh, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. I'm, you know how when you after you exercise, like your body's like, thank you, let me get all this horrible <laughs> stuff out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll probably be clearing my throat a lot, um, but I just want to, I want you guys to know, and anybody that might be listening, I'm okay. I'm all right. It's, <laughs> it's, it's humid here, mm-hmm. and I and I I do two and a half miles, and it it it's uh, it feels great, but it's like uh, 
is it's like pollen armageddon it's it's a real it's it's like a iron man thing really um what was the question then i'm i'm sorry what was the question <laughs> I, I the the question was are you changing oh, your why, why, on yeah. releasing music yeah 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 i am i am to be honest with you i have found myself and on it it, it it actually i was going to change my approach uh before starling but the great joe henry um, who I'd gotten friendly with that talked me into the album still being important. Um, and I don't think that he's wrong. Um, but, but what I'm frustrated with is, is that I don't know that all the information we have available to us um, about the, our efforts is good for us. You know, uh, but what I do know is that people tend to listen to the first three or four songs and then there's great songs um, later in the record that just kind of get overlooked. And I, you know, I, I try not to pay too much attention to these kind of things, but it is a real trend. And so part of what I'm doing, um, and I haven't really, not to, you know, I don't want to be indulgent because what does it really matter? I haven't talked about this, but it's just something I decided to do that I'm going to release three songs in a, uh, at a time. And then next year I'll release the, complete record with uh with more songs um because i want every song to at least get fair consideration I, i'm tired of what i feel are, are good or important songs and in my way i've tried to draw attention to those songs i've made sure that, that there were singles or song you know songs i wanted people to focus on later in the record because that always um you know the songs around those songs if that makes any sense then tend to get listened to but I, I do. I, I I don't like these. I don't know, man. It, it's on the one hand, it's like the '50s, you know, and I get that. But um, I grew up being in it. It was albums that lit me up. So I've always made albums, and and the thing I always found fascinating about albums is you might not like or, or immediately like every song on an album, but they're there for a reason, and then they're helping to tell a story, and. Um, we're, if we lose that, I think we'd lose part of music. I don't think everything should just be about the song that you think can sell. Um, and and when I say that, when I say that, I've never measured or, or created things with that in mind. Um, you know, for me, I've always kind of leaned towards the song that I felt felt uh, was closest to the source and its intent, and that was the song that I would focus on. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. As a, as a, so a single wasn't based on like, oh yeah, this is what they're doing. <laughs> you know, look at me all relevant. You know, it was based on um, <laughs> whether it was pure or not, whether it felt like a pure distillation of what me and the guys were capable of, you know, in that time we had in a room, you know, I, I'm, you know, I think we're in a, we're in a time of contrast. Um, it's absolutely beautiful and it's absolutely harrowing at the same time. And I guess that may have always been true. You know, it feels, uh feels more, clearly enunciated though this, this uh kind of uh transient experience yeah, yeah I, so this is this is a kind of a timely episode that we're doing because earlier this week <laughs> so you you posted um you know a, a lengthy post on your facebook page about the plight of the independent artist and musician and 
you, you know, whether you're you're making a difference in the world. Just the the method of how people are devouring music and art these days is it is it rewarding at all for the musicians? Is it rewarding at all for the for the artists and and their ecosystem, Ben? Which is a yeah. really that was a that was the subtext of a lot of what I was saying. I wish I had just come out and said it, um, but like our ecosystem um, is is being really challenged under these conditions. Right, and and so so one of the the first things that you mentioned on on that post was about the streaming music not rewarding the artists at all. I mean, we had a couple of weeks ago we had Caroline Spence on on the the, the podcast and. One of her songs was added to one of the Spotify playlists. She's got over 10 million listens, and I and we were kind of joking about the payout of the, of those 10 million listens. And she was like, "What, Wayne? What did she say?" She was uh, like, she, uh, "She'd gotten uh, two almond lattes with it, with the money." Right. Yeah. 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 And and so I, I you know, I get it that that that's a great medium for people to. Um, to to get introduced to to musicians, but I wonder if that that same emotional connection that you know again going back to your your point Matthew of of us being old guys, you know I I totally loved going to the record store and being able to go through the bins and seeing what the artists look like um, you know on their album covers and mm-hmm. just you know it was and it was a treat when you got home and you took the cellophane off and you threw it on the record player and or you know threw it in your cd player there was that there was a different connection to that how many times did we just not even come home with anything but we just spent hours at tower records just going through things uh just looking at the stuff just looking at records i mean not even with no money to come home with anything it just was something we did pretty pretty routinely yeah, let me say, you know, it's a funny thing. Um, you know, every, about once a year, I find myself at the mall because, you know, Christmas is coming. And I still like that tradition of, of going someplace and looking for things that, that resonate uh, for somebody I love that I want to give them. And most places where you go to in the mall are empty. Even at yeah. Christmas time, it, it's not particularly packed, except for the Mac store. And here's the weird thing. The Mac store will be packed and nobody will be engaging with each other unless they're engaging with customer service. The thing about record stores and the physical places that we used to go is we found through trial and error and through, you know, I remember I had a friend who used to, like when I was a teenager, he used to like to dance. I know it sounds goofy. And I, you know, and I, I, I could never dance, you know, but he loved to dance. <laughs> And so he would go to these dance clubs where they had an alternative room where they played like the Smiths and like the Cure and like stuff like that. And, you know, I would go with them sometimes. And even though it didn't work for me, it wasn't a place for me. Um, I did like the music, but, you know, I couldn't dance. He found a community there. I don't know if he's still friends with some of those people or not. I found a community in record stores. The main point I'm trying to make is that there's something weird going on with our technology where even when we go to the places where we gather, we're alone. And, yeah. and record stores, I met my first band in a record store. I met my first sense of connectivity to the world outside 
which by the way was was going there and buying let it be you know um you know because i had i had heard and this is the truth you know you gotta understand i was when the replacements were first coming out i was just a kid so my first introduction to them was hearing i'll be you on on uh mtv and i you know i was like wow what what is that so i went to the record store and the only record of theirs I could afford at the time was Let It Be. So I was like, well, I guess I'll get that. And then I put it on and I'm listening and I'm maybe a little on the fence. It's not really the kind of music I was, I was at that time, like fully engaged with. And then on Unsatisfied comes on. Not, and I think we just referenced it a minute ago. Yes. Um, and I'm, I'm blown away that a voice can sound like that and that a guitar and a band can sound almost out of tune, but sound so honest and, and, somehow heroic because you know on the radio that's not what we were hearing but what i'm trying to say is those physical places we go are where we really find our connectivity to other people and it's through our connectivity to other people that we find um less of the horrible things we're capable of happen you know what i'm saying um so it 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 has a fundamental role in kind of solving uh, salving what you know the word uh comforting loneliness yeah you know yeah, yeah. Uh, because we're you know like cohen has said in a great interview where this guy was kind of giving him shit about the darkness in his songs uh and he kept referring to him as the prince of darkness and all that and cohen kind of got fed up in his way and told this story about what it's like for anybody at two in the morning in their bed and they can't sleep you know um, that art has a fundamental role um, to, for each of us to understand that we're not alone in that 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 two three a.m. moment when we can't sleep. Uh, that's actually a common experience. These are important things, you know. Well, and and with your music, and and you can you can totally contradict what I'm about to say is your your music is not um, you know one of those. Uh, sunshine and rainbows type of type of music, which I'm completely okay with that, because <laughs> I think I because I think that that well let me let me just ask you this, you seem like you would be a Raymond Carver fan, am I correct? I'm a huge Raymond Carver fan, yeah. See, I I kind of figured that about you just based off of the music. I'm a huge Raymond Carver fan yeah. where, and where I can see, I can see the beauty in the darkness because yeah. that, because I think the, the, the beauty of Raymond Carver's writings is he's dark as crap. I mean, we all know that, but there is, there is some hope. There's those glimmer of hopes that, that he just kind I of, don't sprinkles a little bit through his through his writings and i can i can see the hope through the darkness well see here let me say a couple things to that i don't think that yeah. raymond carver is particularly dark i really don't seamus haney said the great music is the music of what happens and he was using music in terms of of the, the great dialogue of events you know the great music is the music of what happens you know now because I'm not an academic, I can't rattle off titles and stuff like that. I've read a lot of Raymond Carver and I love Raymond Carver and some of his writing has been, there's this, there's this one poem that <clears throat> I can't remember the title of, but it's about somebody's kid getting run over um, down the street and how he and his wife felt relief that it wasn't their kid. That's not yeah. dark. 
that is what people feel when when things happen. Do you know what I mean? The, the, the more we divert our eyes from those truths about ourselves, the more dangerous we are. And so like darkness being um, acknowledged is not dark. It is, it is brave to still find beauty despite all these concurrent events that challenge beauty itself. I'm not coming at you, Ben. It's uh, like, you know that. I hope you can feel that. That's not what oh, I'm yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. You know, damn you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What I'm saying is we've got to, in American culture, stop thinking that there's something heroic in pretending that we don't have the potential for darkness or yeah. the potential for letting ourselves down. You know, the, the more we divert our eyes from that, the more dangerous we become. And that is so, what any artist is, is, that is confronting that is trying to share with you, that these things are all happening concurrently. Yeah. You, you know, it is not all just rainbows and unicorns and Taylor Swift records. You know, there's a place for that. You know, we all, you know, like my friend loved to dance. You know, I get right. it. Right. You know, I, I even like to dance poorly sometimes, you know. Um, but I it, can only it, dance. It's like, <laughs> well, that's really what I meant. I'm glad you said something, <laughs> Wayne. I, I allow myself to dance poorly is what I guess I'm I'm getting at. You know what I mean. I'm yep. I'm off the rails, but you know what I mean. I love well, that stuff. I love I love that work that tells the truth, man. I think it's useful. And and to to all of that commentary, I think that leads up beautifully to your most recent song on our death day. I think again, um, there, I find it a very beautiful song. I played it in the car with my wife and she's like, man, that's a dark song. And I'm like, no, oh. you, you know, and again, she's not an Americana person by any stretch of the right. I get she, it. She and I, she is the dancer in, you know, going back <laughs> to your, to your, uh, your, your story. She actually is a dancer. She's a dance dance teacher. So, um, right. And and I'm the guy who's who is okay with um, turning on the it's music for right. It in. Not you, my beloved. You're all that's good in this world. And while the night feels stuck in it. Roads half lit, the moon's pearl. Oh, Mary, is it too late? Is every word an echo? Does every song fade? Will you be standing under a black and silver sky by my side? On our death day is, so I guess my question for you on that is because we, we, we talked about that and I'm like, um, I think it's a commentary on our society right now, but I also find it a love song and it is, I, I kind of view it as both, right? It is. Yeah. 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 Okay. It's about the death of bad ideas. I've had bad ideas in love and I've had bad ideas about each other. And but I I do know that you know my my openness to to confronting bad ideas has led to more understanding of myself and others, you know. 
I don't know. I don't. I, we, I always, I always just shy away from any kind of um, indulgence with this stuff. But I, I, I do want to say that, like, I didn't want to write that song. Like when it was coming, I was like, oh, I don't want to say this. You know, I want to be angry, or I want to write, a, you know, an anthemic punk song, or I want to, you know, um, this is, you know. What's funny is, uh, I guess I would say that the same apprehension a listener might have to listening to something like that, I had the same apprehension to writing it. But I committed to it and found that I felt it was beautiful and useful, you know? And that's why I wanted it to be the first song people heard from this new batch that's coming. It's a strange feeling when you offer a song like that because you kind of know not only are you putting a bottle you know, you're putting a message in a bottle and standing at the ocean. You're putting a bunch of rocks in there and you're going to watch the bottle just kind of sink. But sometimes you do something because you feel it's the right thing to do and that th- these things have to be said and they have to be followed through with the best of intention. Um, I think that that is the most important function any of us dealing in any sort of altruism. And art is an act of humanitarian cause. Like, I believe that. It saved me. It changed my life. So it is like the number one motivator of what I choose to do um, when I do these things. And so part of why I wrote that piece that you read, which, you know, I don't agree with everything I said. I I, I said all that was on my mind at that moment. I'm talking about the one about the so-called music business is that part of what drove that was that the song was disappearing. I can see that the song is disappearing, that that you offer something and you have to have the grace to let it disappear. Well, that's a painful experience, you know? I, I'm not saying that it keeps me up at night. I'm not saying that I'm cutting myself over it. I'm saying that emotionally, you do something um, from that place that you think might be in the tradition of other good works, whether it be Mystic River or it be, you know, uh, as ambitious as this sounds, understand that I'm only trying to give context. Sure. Uh, blowing in the wind, you know? Um, these are these are songs and movies and stories, or you know, uh, Raymond Carver's uh, and any number of his poems. I wish I, the girl and the spider. I I can't remember all the titles. These things are offered for that quiet moment that we all have, and we live in a time where people are avoiding that quiet moment. And you can't help but think that what that song is capable of if people would just quiet themselves and spend some time with it. I know how dangerously egotistical that sounds, and I don't mean it that way. But it is one of the drivers that 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 I have, is that I want to offer something that is there for another human in that moment when they're open to that kind of quiet. Yeah. You know? I, I would say, so, so, so two other topics, uh, and then we'll, we'll kind of yeah. switch gears. But... Please, so I would say on on your on your your on your point about um, you know trying to attract listeners, Americana type of of artists are not are it's not an easy genre to attract listeners. You know, think think about Americana type of stations across the U.S. There aren't many. You know, one of the things that really resonated to me last year was after the movie A Star Is Born, the most recent A Star Is Born came out. Um, you guys, you guys see that movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. So, 
in that movie, Bradley Cooper is definitely an Americana singer. I mean, think about Lucas Nelson and Jason Isbell wrote some some music for for the movie. And supposedly he's like this really big star. And on the yeah. Rolling Stone magazine podcast that they did several months ago, they brought up an interesting conversation where they said, you know, this movie is all fiction because there's no Americana artist that would be filling up stadiums like Bradley Cooper's character is doing. And right. that's, that's very true. I mean, um, you know, I, I do tend to, uh, to gravitate to more of the Americana type of, of sensibilities. And I will tell you that, um, you know, I saw Jason Isbell last year and, mm -hmm. you know, he's filling up two to 3000 venues, but, there, there's nobody who's going to be filling up stadiums with the, that kind of, of music. It's just not, it's not happening. So, so, so how do you attract the listeners? I think that kind of goes back to your point of all of these really great musicians are creating this beautiful art and it's, and it's not being, it's not being recognized. Well, I think it's partially it's where um, these ideas of, uh, genre and marketing and stuff fail um you know most of the artists i know whether they're considered punk artists or they're considered americana artists or they're singer songwriters or they're rock artists or even um ambient artists like we all grew up loving disparate things and it's only in the interest of business that there's these ideas of like, like i can't stand the idea of americana it's the wrong idea like I can't, I, just like I can't stand the idea of, of, um, you know, I don't know, man. Like yeah, Americana has become the it. That's become the word for modge podge of we don't know what the hell genre you really belong in. Right, and all it really is is like American music that has existed in the 20th century on that yes. has a, a wide range of influences. I mean, I grew up like, you know, loving Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash. And the Clash and uh, psychedelic furs that were mentioned earlier, and and Joy Division and and um, you know Joe Henry and and like so like uh, and then finding Miles Davis and of course Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen and you know I I think that we I, I just don't I don't understand um, that need yeah. um, I don't it's not I don't think it's the artist need. Uh, I think it's the, the business around it that, that creates this idea of what a certain genre is and what it, what, it, I don't know, like, I guess it, I guess it deals in identity. I don't know. You know, people do tend to wear, you know, different outfits if they go to a red dirt country show or they go to a pop country show. I mean, it's all very, uh, it's all very uh, nuanced, <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. My, um, my, for instance, my wife was giving me crap because I was wearing a Pearl Jam shirt to a Chris Jansen concert. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like hey, you know, sweetheart, I'm I'm going to a country show with you, and um, I'm not I'm not changing who I am just because I'm going to see Chris <laughs> Jansen. So right, so it's all it's all you good, can possibly man. like both. Yeah, you oh, can yeah. like both, and you should. You yeah, know? absolutely, absolutely. So um, um, I don't know. Yeah, I wish we had all the answers. I really do. I mean, and 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 to that point, 
you know, our the last episode that we just recorded a couple of days ago with uh, was with um, John. Uh, I'm going to slaughter his his last name. Petkovic. Again. Yes. Um, who is, you know, he's worked with uh, Sweet Apple and he was in Guided by Voices for a time. Mm-hmm. His most recent uh, collaboration is with the Black Keys, Patrick Carney. And, and um, his little collaboration is called Sad Planets. And they've only got minimal traction, even though Patrick Carney is like, arguably one of the biggest rock stars out there today with the black keys. I mean, they're huge, but yet they're not getting a whole lot of traction because it's not the black keys. It's sad planets. Um, yeah, you can't, can't, you can't, trans, you can't transfer the love that people have for Patrick Carney to somebody else. I mean, you can only do these things in the hope that you're doing great work. Right. The only, re- you know, you know, and I'm sure that's where he was coming from, but yeah. you, the, the love, you know, some, some audience feels for some other artists um, is not going to be transferred. What it does do is it allows, you know, a hallway uh, for people, you know, that are curious and uh, to maybe discover something. And that's beautiful. And that's all, that's all it can be. (laughs) Yeah. I, like I said, I wish I had, I wish I had some kind of magical, you know, formula to crack the code of, of how to, to, to burst through that, that next, the next part of the ceiling, but I, I, I really don't. I, I oh, will ben, say, I hope, I hope, let me say this. I hope that you understand that that's, that's not really, um, my concerns are cultural. Uh, they're not, they're not, they're not, I don't want you to feel that you have to comfort me. I, I, no. I'm, I'm fine with, with where, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Cause that's not where I'm coming from. Right. I, I will say this: the the one thing that um, that I kind of took away from from that whole whole post was, you know, what I don't understand, I guess, is why more singer songwriters or whatever you want to call them um, aren't going out out as full bills or kind of creating that. Going back to you, what you're talking about this this community, there probably is a little bit of that community that's that's been happening. But you know, I yeah. looked at um, a number of years ago. Um, this was when Glenn Phillips um, and Toad the Wet Sprocket had just kind of gone on hiatus. I guess this was probably what 90, uh, 97, 98, and um, I had a chance to see him with three other songwriters who you know had mm-hmm. varying degrees of success so he was with john doe of x um pete droge and steve poltz and all of them had some some kind of of you know success poltz you know co-wrote a bunch of songs with jewel pete droge had the song on you know dumb and dumber um john doe of course we all know john doe and we all love john doe yeah what was really cool was just hanging out with a bunch of of really good singer songwriters and you could tell that those individuals were really enjoying playing and touring together and i felt like they probably learned something from one another i, I mean i've got Absolutely. to i've got to guess that you've learned you know brian fallon you know produced your your last full length record right mhm so I gotta I gotta assume that you've learned a little something from Brian. I know Doug Lancio, who is a fantastic guitarist, uh, worked with you on your most recent stuff. Um, oh, Doug and I have 
Doug and I have been in the trenches together for years. We've, yeah. We've like, you know, um, well, I, I would say that as far as like, like the manifestation of community, like in a room, I think Jesse is doing a wonderful job at that. Um, Brian, uh, Brian, Brian Fallon, um, he also is really generous with introducing his audience to new music and disparate music. American Aquarium took me through Texas a couple summers ago, which was um, both beautiful and harrowing. Uh, it was funny because some rooms uh, were were so welcoming and other rooms were like, they just didn't like my haircut, you know? Yeah. Um, now the BJ, you know, and his whole gang completely had uh, our back, um, which was beautiful, you know? But, you know, again, people go to music for a bunch of reasons. One of the music, one of the reasons people go to music is for a sense of identity. And um, unfortunately, you know, I've done shows and I've put together shows uh, years ago, and I, I don't say this, where I had the same thought that I wanted to express a disparate community. And one of the things that really broke my heart and is that um, with one of the little gangs I put together, that we all decided to do it together. Um, one of the other songwriters said, man, your, your audience is so tough to play for. And I, I don't, I didn't think that that was true. Um, that's how she felt. And I still don't know if it was true, but it was horrible to hear that. Wow. Um, because of course I, I look at my audience as very welcoming, smart, kind people. Um, but she had made a point after a couple of shows to say that they just, they, they really are, um, how did she put it? Um, <laughs> her point was, I can't remember the exact words. It was, it was kind of funny, but that, that she felt that, you know, that they weren't letting her in. Um, now, whether that was true or not, because of course we all only observe the world through our own lenses and we try and find common ground. That again is why art is so important um, and words and, and conversation and intimacies. Uh, we find that we're we may be viewing this from a, you know a singular set of binoculars, but actually they're all they're all connected. Um, yeah. I think that that the, the the underneath of what we're talking about here is um, that uh, at least where I'm coming from is that at some point we have to dismantle this idea. My identity is tied to a brand. I think that we have to move past that. I think that, you know, our systems have kind of herded people into Apple people and PC people and Coke people and Pepsi people and Taylor Swift people and um, uh, Jeezy people and, and, and uh, Brian Fallon people or me people or, or my people or, you know, we got to kind of try and dismantle that because it's getting in the way of our ability to actually be us, all of us. You follow me? Yeah. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Idealistic as hell, but, you know, I don't know that, that these separations serve anything other than economics. I think we can still have an economy and still be more open to experiences. I'll tell you, man, you know, again on that, you know, I, um, I went and did, did some shows with Rhett Miller on the, on the West Coast. Um and after one of the shows, a longtime fan came up and he was and he was a Mexican guy. And I don't say that to, to separate him from other people, but it meant the world to me that he and I saw the world and felt the world in a sim similar place. 
because so much of what we're told is that we don't. That's not true. That's not true whether you're Polish or Mexican or Irish, black, you know, Chinese. The truth is that I think that, you know, minus some, you know, details, we probably feel the world much the same. So whether it's country or brand, we, we you know, we, we have to try and dismantle that. I didn't. I didn't you mean know, for us to get down this path where we're uh, we're talking heavy philosophical stuff. So, uh, I, uh, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to be changing the world today, Matthew. I wouldn't be so sure of that, Ben. You know, I yeah, think it's probably going to be dozens of people. Easy, I think. Yeah, dozens of people like are going to hear this and they're going to go, "Aha!" <laughs> exactly. I couldn't have said it better. Hundreds of people listen to it. If only if if a, if a percentage even <laughs> i agree i'd say i would say the most liberating thing for me as a music fan has been becoming 50 because i don't care i don't care what genre it is if i like it i like it i do love the streaming for the i mean i it may not get the artist and the money that they deserve but it has allowed me to check out your stuff and caroline spence and uh we had this band the woolly bushman on it just the i the the access to the music now and the ability to find stuff is is great where before you just had the radio and if the radio didn't play it you you might not know what it was there well and, and Matthew, can say, can, to, to your point uh, of, of not being you know restricted to genre without giving it away of what our next episode is going to be and wayne you can laugh when i say this <laughs> is all i can say is check out what episode we're doing after yours so I've got Stephen Kellogg coming on uh -huh. for the next episode, and the record that he picked is going to surprise everyone under the sun. Good, that's good, all, good. That, that, good. That's all I'm going to say. Check it out, and then you you can message me later and go, "Oh my gosh." I do want to say something to what what Wayne just said, and we can get off of this. I think what what I think what frustrates a lot of us in various occupations is that. What you have to understand is that Google and Amazon and um, Apple and these these types of delivery systems have been they've done amazing things in in, in in the access that they've created for so many different experiences that do enrich our lives. Okay, what you have to understand is that those corporations are extracting billions and billions and billions of dollars from thousands of ecosystems. They are not sharing fairly in what is simply a street. Really all they're doing is offering a, a virtual street to various experiences and various products and various things. They're not sharing at all in the reward of what is a great idea. I just last night I was watching Bill Maher and um, I can't remember his name. A presidential candidate was talking about that. And this is funny because I was talking to a friend of mine. Uh, anyways, I'm not going to get into that. that that'll turn into another jazz solo. <laughs> but, but essentially what I was had said to a friend years ago is that until Google realizes that people should be compensated for the traffic that they, they create, because they are making billions off of that traffic. They have the means to compensate people for the traffic they're creating. I, as an independent artist, have seen a lot of growth via the internet. And yet, I have watched my income drop substantially. 
I own the vast majority of my records since 2001. So my thinking was that I will create equity and security in my work by not having to, you know, not having to acquiesce to any other interest other than my belief that pure work is important, you know. But simultaneously, what's happened is that the corporations have have defined income streams that do not compensate for the growth that a lot of creatives and other occupations are experiencing. And so people find themselves working four or five times what they used to in order to get a quarter of what they used to make. There is a way for those corporations to still be healthy and still be booming and to include more people. And it was just a, a presidential candidate just last night said the same thing, and I was thrilled to hear it. Until these companies realize that they are dependent on human traffic, even – is everybody all right? Yeah. <laughs> Wayne, that was perfect. Sorry. That was that was that was a gong saying enough. But you know <laughs> what I'm saying. So so what I'm saying is you should enjoy streaming. You're you're not the problem. The problem is is that corporations are narrowing the income streams from from other for others while they expand their income streams. You follow yeah. me? Yep. Is it safe to say that that the bulk of the the money that you as musicians are going to be making is off of touring and selling merch at those those tour dates, etc. That used to be the, the it's changing again because what's is happened it? now is that the, the fields are so crowded that you know um, a lot of touring is is what do you call that cannibalizing other touring. Yeah. And so everybody's on the road. Everybody from you know um, uh, who, who did I just see was out there. Well, uh, it what? doesn't matter. It, Gigantic legacy actor out there, as well as like Caroline Spence. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Um, and so now, because that was the place where you could still have something that looked like work, you know, work and then reward, work and then reward. That was the place where it could happen. Well, now, because there's so much out there and there's so many varying levels of things out there competing, they're kind of um, eating themselves, eating each other. Well, let me, let me. Let me tie back the 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 John Doe Glenn Phillips thing to what you're doing in New York City here in a in a couple months. So you're on the bill with Jesse Mallon, Alejandro Escovedo, Tommy, who we're going to talk about here mm -hmm. in a minute, and Joseph Arthur. That's a fantastic yeah. bill. Like, and don't think for a minute that I didn't look on Expedia to see what flights to New York, uh, you know, look like. Just too expensive for my <laughs> budget right now. But I would say that if you guys toured together, similar to what I talked about with, you know, the John Doe, Glenn Phillips experience, I would totally be there within a three hour, four hour drive. And right. I and I know that there is, you know, look, everybody wants their independence. Um, to your point, maybe you would cannibalize off of one another because there is a lot of the the same sensibilities. But I, I would I would tell you that that listeners like me um, would devour that kind of that kind of roadshow. And you know I, I so I, I kind of went down a wormhole a couple months ago where I was listening to a lot of of Stax recordings and mm -hmm. looking at some of the history of you know back in the '60s you would have you know the Sam and Dave's of the world tour with 
some of the lesser known musicians and kind of just go on a roadshow. You'd have you'd have the same backline for for all of the musicians. And where when did that not you know become a a, a possibility for other musicians for today? Um, I think and I, I think and I don't know if it's financially not 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 feasible, but you know Chuck Reagan from Hot Water Music. Oh you yeah, know, hot water music. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, Chuck Chuck did that revival tour, which was absolutely beautiful, and I think actually, you know, helped all helped all involved. Um, that you know, there in the you know the what do you call it the uh, the arena of of rock and roll, like the people in the room. Um, you know, some people connected, and I know that like Fallon has said that he felt that you know, uh, his time with the revival tour was really helpful for Gaslight Anthem. Yeah. Um, and, and on top of that, he didn't do it for those reasons. He did it to be part of a community, but that, those things do help. Um, I don't know why. I know that like Jesse Mallon has done a wonderful job with these types of shows in, in New York. Now, now why he hasn't expanded those out, I know that his one of his right-hand men is a, is a woman named Jillian, and she's wonderful. And I know that she and I have talked about it. Um, I don't know why we haven't, man. I think part of what happens honestly, Ben, is that people are fighting for their lives. And and for some people, it's a little easier. And some people, it's really hard. But which is true of like, what is that? What, what do you call that when people are in battle and they get, you know, they can only see so much of the field? Um, there's a term for it when you're in literal battle. Um, you know, people get tunnel vision because they're they're working towards their survival. And so they forget that maybe there's a better way or there's, you know, a better upside to a communal effort, you know, because they're trying to make ends meet. Um, you know, but, uh, I know that, uh, you know, I'll bring it up to Jesse again. You know, I think it's, I think it's a good idea and I think it could work. Um, it's just, you have to get people outside of their own, their own individual right. battle. Yeah. You know, cause it is hard, man. It is hard. I don't know, you know, as a music lover myself, and I don't want to name any names because I, I I don't truly know what their situation is, but there's some people that I've viewed as great that were important to my personal um, experience as a teenager and as a younger person and now as an adult. And I would like to believe that, um, you know, they're living in a pretty house quietly without any wolves at the door. Um, that's what they mean to me. And if I could give that to them, I would. And I say that as a lover uh, of music. I don't say that uh, as any, with any of my own skin. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Uh, we yep. we know what that means, that, that music that, that's done that for us. And we want, we want that for those people. Not that we want them, um, you know, fat and, uh, fat and lazy. Uh, we want them comfortable. We want them to, you know, that they, their work had, had meaning and that, that it meant something. And, and the way that we show that is uh, through a degree of security. That's 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 kind of the American promise, right? If you work hard and you do good work, um, you should be rewarded for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nope, I totally get it. I think we got um, it figured out, man. Ben, I think it's uh, Wayne. There we go. Right, it's, everything's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'll I'll drive your tour bus if you need me to. Uh, I have, I'd a, love I have that. a CDL. Let me handle it. <laughs> <laughs> yep there you go 
Well, I'll 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 handle the meet and greets. How's that? I'll I'll sell the merch for it. you. Yeah, I'll sell the merch. I love for it. You. I love it. All right. So uh, before we jump into Bash and Pop, which um, you know actually was the reason why I had you on the show, but this was all great <laughs> conversation. So 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 I'm I'm really glad that we had this conversation because I, I I think that it is absolutely meaningful for. Well, when we get to the outro where I tell people to go support the arts, I mean it. Um, yeah. This is, we we want to continue to have musicians who are doing work that is important to us and is transforming our lives. So, yeah. So, go, go support the arts, people. All right. So, before we jump into Bash and Pop, uh, we've been throwing this, this, this question out to all of our guests. So, um, and this is because Wayne hates toto's africa hate is strong that's a strong you hate word. you you hate, hate you hate you hate the song. It. it's not All a right. good song <laughs> so is toto <laughs> is toto's africa a good or a bad song matthew um it, listen i mean is it a good or a bad song it depends on how you measure it if you're the type that you know loves the flavor in your mouth you know then it's probably a good song you know what I mean? Like, it's, uh, I like when I go to McDonald's, I can... the question. <laughs> no, no. When I go to McDonald's, I can smell the French fries on my fingers for, you know, hours afterwards. Are those good French fries? I, I don't think so. But uh, would I rather there'd be a hundred other songs I probably would rather people had heard so many times. I often wonder, like, what if, like, what if, like, uh, what if like Tickle to Tears like was played as much as um, Toto's Africa? Would would people hmm. then love Tickle to Tears? I don't know. I'm not saying that they would. You know, there seems to be a science to these things. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if I, I've got. I don't know if I've got the answer to that. I will. I will say that. There are there are three fronts. There are the people who are like, if that comes on the radio, they're like, yeah, I'm going to sing along to that. Or you've got the other people who are like, oh, I'm just, I'm over it. I don't want to hear this yeah. song. And then there's the, yeah. the other camp, which is, please don't ever play me the Weezer cover again. <laughs> so so we're just trying to figure out what camp are you in? I, I, I'm going to go with the... Um... I'm going to go with the, uh, what's his name from the Fountainhead? Uh, what's his name? What's his name from the Fountainhead, babe? Oh, I haven't read that in How forever. Howard Rourke. Uh, I don't think about, I don't think about Africa. I don't think about Africa by Toto. <laughs> there you go. You're, a, you're making your, you're, you're making your own category. Or, uh, or, yeah, or, I'm telling you, I don't, I don't, okay. I don't think about it. I don't, it, it, it is not something that I waste my energy on. That I'm not saying that for you guys. Not. All right, fair, if you, if you, fair, you, fair enough. If you, if you knew that period, that part of the book, you would understand. It, it, it's actually entirely relevant. Okay. I'm, in, I'm indifferent. You're indifferent. All right. I think, <laughs> I think, Wayne, I think Wayne is going to put one, uh, no, one just, in his category for that. Yeah. Is it? It's, yeah. <laughs> do you love it? I, I do not like. I don't. I think it's, it's over. No, no, it's no, overplayed. Ben. Oh, Ben. Yeah, Ben loves. Oh, it. I absolutely, ben. I absolutely love it. But but That's I also love I also love yacht rock so I'm uh, I, I'm all you over. You like Christopher the Cross? Absolutely, I've got a Christopher Cross signed uh, first first album on my on my wall. 
and it's right next to my Elvis Costello, uh, my aim is true, uh, signed record cover. So that's, that's, you like, that's where I go. I'm all you, over the place. Do you like Jimmy Buffett? No. Hey, can't, can't stand. What, Jimmy about, what about that? The country dude that's trying to like take the yacht rock mantle. Do you like the Chaz? Uh, Kenny Chesney? No, I can't say Kenny Chesney. No, I don't like him. <laughs> no. No. Do you like uh, do you like Arthur's theme? Uh no. I do not like Arthur's theme, but that first, but that first <laughs> See, I love that, Arthur's theme. Yeah. I see. love Arthur's theme. Yeah. Once you get caught between the moon and New York City. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy, yeah. but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> well well done, Wayne. Exactly. Exactly. Touche. All right. Have we uh, have we pontificated like about Jackson Brown? Uh, I do love Jackson Brown. Yeah, he's good, and it's taken yeah. me a long time because I uh, I do realize I've in the last five ten years I've realized that Jackson Brown is actually really great. He really is. It was his association with the Eagles that freaked me out. I got to be honest. Do you guys like the Eagles? You know, I, I, I did more early on in my life than yeah, I, because it was that was something my parents listened to a lot. That, yep, that's, that's definitely uh, some Stockholm syndrome. I was I was I was force fed right, as, right. as a youth, and I. Who's better, the Eagles or Fleetwood Mac? Uh, the Mac. Yeah, I go with I go with the Eagles on that one. Wait, wait. What? Yeah. yeah. I guess there's parts of Fleetwood Mac that maybe like Lindsey Buckingham, I think is a very, he's probably talent, more talented than anybody in the Eagles, but the, but Fleetwood Mac as a whole, I don't know that I would, I don't know. Too, it's yeah. just a little too soft rock. I mean, not the, the I guess there's more country in the Eagles that kind of tip it for me. Yeah. Right. That's interesting. And you call yourself a replacement fan. <laughs> 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 uh, maybe I'm the only one that does, but uh, yeah. So you would take the Eagles over Fleetwood Mac, Wayne? Yes. Okay. I would not. I else, but I would say this: you'd have to take Timothy B. Schmidt out, and uh, you'd, have to, you'd have to leave Joe Walsh in. Wayne, okay. Wayne's got some 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 very strong opinions about Timothy B. Schmidt. Uh, if you if you ha haven't listened to our Fast Times at Ridgemont High soundtrack episode, um, uh huh. We will never have Timothy B. Schmidt on an episode of our podcast based off of that record. I would never be on a I podcast tell you, with Timothy B. Schmidt. <laughs> I got to tell you guys, I think what we're doing right now is 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 the Game of Thrones finale that everybody wanted. I mean, there's just blood. <laughs> there's blood all over this podcast. Absolutely. You know. <laughs> all right, so let's 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 switch gears. Let's actually let's actually go into Bash and Pop and. Let's do it. We'll, we'll keep and we'll keep talking about artists because when you chose this, so you chose his 1993 record "Friday Night Is Killing Me," and based yeah. on the not the 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 names that you drop in your song "Battleborn," which includes yeah. Lucinda Williams, Joe Strummer, Chrissy Hind, and you mention a Tom. Is that a Tom Petty or is that Tom Waits or just a, it's both? You know, both. Okay. Yeah. Um, Depending on you, like where I'm at. But you also mentioned Paul, which yes. I was I was convinced when I when I when I invited you to come on on the, the podcast that you were gonna pick a Paul Westerberg record. Either a solo record or replacement records. 
Instead, you chose his replacement's bandmate. And I guess my question mm-hmm. is, that's an interesting choice. I love it, but it's an interesting choice. So what 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 made you decide on the, the first Bash and Pop record? Well, probably, you know, because as you know, I it was my initial choice. And then, of course, a whole flood of records came into mind, you know? Um, oh, yeah. But I with some consideration now you know i would say the reason i chose that is because a i think it's one of the best post replacements records and i I would actually suggest that it's probably the best rock and roll record since um every picture tells a story and it also was the first time that i realized how much of a fan of early uh of faces and early rod stewart those guys must have been even it was one of those aha moments where um even though you heard those things with the replacements like if you put rod stewart i'm talking early 70s rod stewart singing these songs you've got probably one of the greatest rock and roll records of all time that is not a slight on tommy at all and i think the reason i love tommy is i've only he won't remember but i've met him a couple times and and he was on my mind cuz you know we're doing that show together up there and yeah. And we've had a lot of friends in common. Um, the thing I love about Tommy, um, as an observer of him, is he still loves music. Um, he doesn't seem like, and maybe because he got in when he was so young that he never had expectations beyond that feeling. Um, you know, there's that great Tom Waits song, that feel that he does with uh, Keith Richards, uh, that feel. And, and I used to think that that song was a a lament and not a warning and i now i've come to realize i think it's a warning if there's one thing you can't lose it's that feel i don't think tom ever lost tommy ever lost that feel i saw him a couple summers ago uh, at a place here in nashville and uh and just the uh, we were outside and i hate outside shows like i i hate i don't like playing outside I don't like like the potential for a bug to fly in my face. It like almost always happens there'll be a bug that wants to like get in my nostril or something while I'm singing. And you know, to be a performer means you have to pretend that those things aren't happening. But I'm not a perform they aren't happening. I'm not a performer. I will inevitably start like punching myself in the nose trying to get the the bug to get out of my nostril. <laughs> and um but Tommy was outside in this, you know, it was raining. And it was a nice crowd there, and it was just him and his guitar player friend that's been going out with him. I, I apologize, I don't know his name. And they just sounded great. And not only did they sound great, um, Nashville audiences are, 
are incredibly difficult to play to. They're like playing the spoiled brats. It's like it's like being an analog toy um, for some kid raised on a screen, you know, because um, they they have it all. I mean, everything comes through here, and somehow like the town kind of has an ego about it. <laughs> but yeah. somehow, you know, Tommy Stinson and his and his and his sidekick, his buddy, his partner in crime, still put rock and roll joy in this in this place and I, I had to admire it um and it's something you know i i just love that he still has that feel that's a long answer to a short question and so that's why i chose that record excellent um so are you talking about his little side project what is it campfires and cowboys or i don't remember what it's called. it was one of those shows but he was playing yeah. you know he was playing stuff all through his career I, I, you know, as as a fan, you know, and you know when you say this, I don't know the guy personally. I'm talking just as a fan, as somebody who's grown up with with his presence in my life now for, you know, eighty percent of my life, you know, seventy five percent. I love I love what he does. I love I love the guy as as what he's offered. You know, yep. he he's still got it. Yep, yep. So let's jump into revisiting Friday Do night it. is killing me. So, Wayne, as a reminder, our scoring is based on number of songs on the record. So how many songs are on this record, Wayne? Eleven. Means our top song is going to get 11 points. Next favorite song, 10, on down to our lowest score of number one. Here is... Wait, 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 wait. Wait. Oh. Shit, I I, I did it backwards. (laughs) You did it backwards? Yes. Yes, my one... What did I put as number one? You put. That, that okay, no, your... I did it right. I did it right. Okay. You, you wow. did it right. Woo. No, you're 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 good. But now I got to edit okay. that part out because I I want to I want to leave everybody in suspense of what your favorite song is. So. <laughs> All right. Well, just leave it. Let there be some drama though. Like just as it were. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So here's the first song. This is Never Aim to Please. I like this song. This is a nice little rocker to start at the record. Um, what you guys have to say about uh, the, the the opening track? I, I, I agree. I point? thought it was a great way to start. Um, it's uh, I like I love the sentiment. Like I'm never out to make anybody happy. Um, and it mm-hmm. and, and and like I say, I, I think my favorite line from it was, "I'll take what what I want and leave what I can't stand." But yeah. I noticed right off that he, I mean, and I, I didn't take, and I don't mean it in a critical way at all, but I mean, because I, I, his, you can tell that Paul Westerberg has had a huge influence on him, songwriting and guitar playing. Um, but I mean, when you consider he was 16, I think when the, uh, when the replacement started, that's, 
really probably the closest guy he's been to who writes songs and plays guitar besides his brother who had a completely different style but his style of guitar is definitely along the lines of paul westerberg and mm-hmm. there is nothing wrong with that yeah I, I was just gonna say i like how tommy just kind of gets down to business i mean he starts singing what about a bar and a half into the into the record and yeah. like three three seconds in the record and i kind of felt like that was his statement to the world he's like yeah i bet you guys didn't know that i know how to sing here you go um right. so i, I, so I kind of felt like that was a little bit orchestrated which i'm completely cool with that that feels very punk rock to me i think it's good advice you know i think never having to please is good advice you know it, it, the best music is motivated by love you know, you only let in what you love. You don't, you don't try and, you know, participate in anything that you don't love. I think that's good punk rock advice. I remember when I was first heard of that, you know, the jury was out. You know, I was like, okay, I like it. You know, I love it now. But when I first heard it, it was kind of like, you know, let's see. Okay, let's see where this is going. Yeah. You know? I'm going to see right? you to my grave. I'm going to go for broke. There, that's uh, that is the sentiment and a good statement. And he has, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, anything else on on this particular song before we uh, jump into some scores? Nope. All right. Nope. So, <laughs> so Wayne, your score? I gave it a nine. I mean, it's it's like you said, it's a a great rock and roll song coming right out of the gate, um, and he shows. A lot of, you know, he shows what he's what he's been doing behind me because he was a bass player. You didn't, you know, really hear a lot from him. He's kind of in the background, and now he's 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 busting out. There you go. Right. And uh, Matthew, your score? I gave it a six. It's like kind of like it's it's it's. it's just, I think it's a great opener, but it, you know, I always like the meat of records. Yeah, we'll get to that. And mm-hmm. I gave it a five. Um, again, I like it. Not indicative of my of my score, but yeah, I, I, I really dig the song. I think it's a good way to to open up uh, the track and open up his his solo career. So mm-hmm. it's good. All right, here's number two song. This is Hang Ups. find the lyrics for this song and a few other songs online and i don't have a copy of the cd as well and he probably didn't include the lyrics anyways in the cd because i do have the cd for anything can happen that i purchased at his uh, 2017 show and surprisingly enough no no lyrics booklet included in that so um, yeah so i i couldn't find the lyrics so i'm taking everything on face value and and he's not the easiest to decipher lyrically as he's singing. Is that, is that pretty accurate? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Cause I did find the lyrics and uh, he, cause he has some great 
some great lines in there. Uh, you know, the 9 a.m. wake up, uh-huh. you go to sleep in your makeup. It's a, I, this one, I saved my comments from the previous song because this is where it all came together for me. Um, about my second time listening through the album, I this song starts and I'm like, this has a great like exile on Main Street, uh, you know, Rolling Stones feel to it. And then it hit me. He sounds, he doesn't sound exactly like, but what he reminds me of is Keith Richards. Um, you know, like uh, before <laughs> they make me run and happy. Like I read the Keith Richards biography. And so I, Keith Richards thinks that he is at least as good, if not better than Mick Jagger. And so that it, there's a whole, there's a whole swagger that is involved with it. And I think Tommy Stinson has that, like you say, there is some similarities in his voice, but there's this rascally charm. Um, he's, when he sings, like he, 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 I think he feels like I sing just as good as anybody else where I don't know that that's technically true, but he just sells it. Like this song for me with that exile on main street bluesiness, um, and that and that Keith Richards swagger, it just it shot right up to the top, or to the close to the top. So how That's much cool. of that was producer? Because uh, I did look. He, this was recorded with Don Smith, who has worked with Keith Richards mm-hmm. solo stuff. Uh, he's also worked with John Hyatt and Cracker. So I'm I'm just curious of of maybe maybe Don knew that he had a little bit of that of Richards swagger and maybe pulled it out of them a little bit um but yeah wayne i i would i would totally agree with you on that point because he tommy um on stage and and you know matthew you can agree with me or disagree with me but he does have a presence on stage as soon as he gets up there you you know that's freaking tommy stinson there's a rock and roller in the building yeah Oh yeah. Yeah, he looks like he looks like he's in is in the Stones. I mean, you know, he looks like he looks like Rod Stewart in in the early seventies. Oh, totally. Haircut and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's a, it's a rock and roller, man. It's you know, I my head's too big for that kind of hair, but I admire <laughs> it. Uh, I, I love it. Uh, that's just true. I'm not being self-effacing. I mean, you got to call a spade a spade. Yeah. Uh, I wish I I wish I was I had a smaller head. I could have that bushy hair. It looks great. <laughs> this I will I will say that my my last comment comment on this particular song is this is a, <laughs> this is this is a great little bar song though. Like I I can totally hear any kind of cover band singing this you know in a bar on a Friday or a Saturday night. This is this is one of those fun time bar and- type. And what a beautiful world that would be, Ben. Could you imagine, could you imagine you go into your local and there's some guys that maybe, you know, work at the plant they get together on Thursday nights and they jam and that's what they're playing. Yeah. I mean, that would be a, I I love the world you're describing. That would be an awesome world to live in. The thing about this, this, and I'm, I'm I'm not going to have much to say really because I, about these, this first half of the record is what I love about it is it just, it feels good. It's 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 like you guys. I think one of you guys used the word rascally. Like he sounds, you know, he he sounds like he's having fun, and it sounds playful, and it it it's, it's rock and roll, you know. And the band sounds great, you know. Um, yeah. I, I, I hang ups, and you know, you know, every time I say the title, that chorus goes through my head. I mean, that's it's kind of like Toto's 
uh, bless the rains in Africa that way. <laughs> Touche. Uh, All right. Let's 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 get some scores. So uh, Matthew, your score? I gave it a five. Yeah. Again, kind of middle. A, yep. I gave it a four. And then Wayne? I, I gave it a 10 because, like I say, part of it is it, this is wow. where it all, it, wow. all came, it all came together for me. Like, I, I, I was like, because the first, the first listen through, eh, okay, I, I mean, I had the same kind of a, a feeling that you described. It's like, let's, let's see where this is going. But, like, when I heard this song and I got that, rolling, that Stones feel to it and that Keith Richards thing, you know, and then I'm starting to think about Happy and Before They Make Me Run, and I'm like, okay, you know what? I I like it. This so this is kind of maybe a, a, a it has some more of a importance to it than some of the other songs. But I, I loved. I really enjoyed it. I can say. I, I, Wayne, what I'm picking up on is I think that you and I, we, like the things that you're responding to, are almost the polar opposite of what what I would respond to, and I find this fascinating because I can I can to I totally get what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm yeah. not, I'm not being, I'm not being. Um, we'll we'll get more into it as we go. These, like I just love the way this felt, but I didn't really connect it to a bunch of other things. I'm always looking for that song that kills me. Yeah, I'm talking about like the the sad song. <laughs> and there's a few of them on here. We'll get we'll get to that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So so third song is loose ends. say Wayne to your point about that connection this is where I think I connected with the record it starts starts here and then it's it's definitely Matthew I'm I'm gonna tell you right up front I think you and I kind of listen to this record very similarly um, mm -hmm. and we're we're gonna get there in, in in a little bit but this is where I think it picks up for me where I felt I felt that Keith Richard Swagger was on this particular song. I love the call and response of, you know, time to tie your loose ends up and the the, the background is time up. Is, time yep, up. Yeah. That's my first uh, yeah. that's my first comment on this is I, I absolutely love that. I, I love it. Yeah. And and so every once in a while on this record in and I think you know, <clears throat> going back to to your point of of hanging around with Westberg rubs off on you. There are some really fun lyrics sprinkled out throughout this, this record. I think the, the one, for instance, there's a little, little play on words where he's got, it's a rain check for a date. You've no interest. And again, I, I, I see a little bit of that play in words on, on this particular song and a couple other ones. And yeah, I just really, I really dig the song. Maybe it doesn't completely reflect in my score because there were a few other songs that I connected with way more than this mm -hmm. one. But 
I really dig this one. This is this is what really I think sucked me into this record was this particular song. Wow, good. So Matthew, I know that your score doesn't reflect what what mine and Wayne's score is for for this. So t- tell me why maybe you didn't connect with this song quite as much as as the two of us did. Well, see, and that's what I want to make clear is like when you're ranking songs like this, like I, I didn't put a whole lot of thought into it. What I went to was, was, uh, you know, this record works cohesively from beginning to end. Yeah. And so to, to say like that, I gave it, I gave Loose Ends a four. Does not mean that I don't like the song. But I really, I really felt that like, you know, in the, in the first half of the record, you're kind of, you, you, you're just getting a, a rock and roll record where there's not a, and that, that that's a good thing. You know what I mean? Like, I love the way these songs made me feel. Um, and I still do when I put it on. Um, I visit, I revisit this record a few times a year, at least, you know, um, there's no, it's, it's a, it's a good record from, from start to finish. So I gave it a four, but that's not like, that's not saying like, this is an awful song. It's just, a, it's a, it's, it's, the things that made me love the record are different than their, their ability. Whenever you do that Stonesy thing, you know, because there's been a few times, um, there's a song I recorded for my second record that was very Stonesy. Nobody's going to do that as well as the Stones. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, it's, and so I never released it. It's never, and it won't ever be released because it feels like, you know, I, I can't do that. So I admire them. I admire Tommy and the gang for doing that. Um, and I do stand by what I said about it being the best rock and roll record since every pitcher tells a story. Yeah. Um, you know, cause I do love when I listen to rock and roll, it's, 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 it's a bunch of things. It's the sound of the voice. It's the sound of the band. It's the feel. It's the sense that this happens. Like, you know, just like a storm hits this, this song hits, you know, I, I like that. So, um, you know what I mean? I like the song. I, I, you know, it sticks with me. The chorus sticks with me. But more than anything, it's the feel, and I do like it. Yeah, yep. and I'm 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 gonna be saying more or less the same thing for for a minute here. You know, I think we are. Maybe the scores don't reflect that, but you know what? It wouldn't be a wouldn't be an episode without our guest telling us exactly what you just told us about our scoring. So we get it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all it's all good. It's all good. Makes yeah. for good. It's not a judgment. For, I nope. I love the entry conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I think Carolyn Spence says it's, it's like uh, ranking your friends. Yes. Yeah. 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 All right. For Wayne. your kids. Or, or those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Wayne, They've all got superpowers. About... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Wayne, how about your score? I gave it an eight. I did notice that this is the one song where the bass kind of stood out, but it has a real loose. Uh, uh, like say that that stones that looseness that uh, where everybody's following the rhythm guitar player, as yeah. Bill Myman would say. Yep. Hmm. All right. And I gave it a seven. So right. Let's, uh, let's move on to number four songs. So this is one more time. Yeah. 
and this is a super short song just over two minutes um i felt like he was trying to make this a punk rock song but it it didn't quite get there for me um but i but i do like the ending so i i think the ending the ending is what saved this from probably being my my number one um because i do like the time 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 part and the drum crashing at the end of the song that probably saved it for me but yeah it's still a really low score for me i do give this a a, my two um it just i didn't connect with it how about how about you wayne i gave it a four there's something um something seems angry about it i don't know i don't know what it was i looked through the lyrics and he does he does swear a little bit more, but there just seems there seemed to be something angry. I wasn't sure. I couldn't really decipher who he was angry at, but uh, right. It 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 just. I mean, because the previous songs, they're 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 like I say, they're upbeat. They're you know this this guy who's just like I said, just having fun. I mean, he's he's doing his own thing and he's having a great time at it. And this one, I don't know. It didn't. It it seemed a little angry. Yeah. And that's really surprising because you usually gravitate to the angry songs. Well, yeah, but angry, angry, like Axl Rose angry, like you gotta you gotta really be mad. This this is just <laughs> All this right. is just uh he just like I say, he seemed upset with somebody. I guess maybe if I could have determined who he was mad at, it might have been it might have it might have helped me. Yeah. Maybe he was mad at Axl Rose. Well he's oh, wait, I mean, no that's that, that would come that's, later. Sorry. That's, yeah, that's completely likely. He's been he was in Guns N' Roses longer than Slash and Duff McKagan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Um, wow. All right. So, so Matthew, how about your score on this particular song? I gave it a one. It was it's the only song on the record, and this may maybe Wayne and I had a similar take, except I felt that it was trying to be early replacement. Um, it's the only one that I felt was kind of like both a love letter to an audience and also like a, a middle finger for it ending the way it did. I could be yeah. totally wrong. And it felt it felt like it could have been on maybe on, um, oh, uh, you know, maybe on Let It Be, except it was it was recorded cleaner. Um, it's, you know, I like it. You know, I don't dislike it, but it it felt kind of like it was. It wanted to say something that it didn't want to say, if that makes any sense. Well, when you're when you're in New York and you're playing with him, so we want you to do a little man on the street uh, <laughs> for us. And, uh, we want you to ask Tommy about this particular song. I think that would be that would be good. <laughs> Make sure you hit record on your phone, okay? I, um, well, I, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on. Number five song, this is Tickled to Tears. I like this song. 
Yeah, who wants who wants to get us started on this song, Matthew? I love the guitar like? on it. I, I I love the guitar on it. I think it's great. Nice nice blues riff, right? Oh yeah, it just feels great. Yeah, it felt like more mm-hmm. lead. I wrote down too that this the guitar stood out on this. Like I said, I mean, and for oh, I mean, I don't know how great. long he learned to play the guitar, but I mean, he'd been a bass player his whole life, so it was. I thought it was remarkable um, how the guitar work on this, if because um, my understanding it's all him. Right. I, I don't know. I, I never dug in like that. Whoever I, it is, it's, it's a great guitar part. You know, I, I, I looked at some of the, 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 the production stuff, and I know that Mike Campbell and Ben Montench play on a couple songs, but I have no idea what songs they play on. I, I, right. I, did, I didn't see that. So I'm wondering if this is Campbell, because that was my first thought when I, when I heard that riff. I'm like, Gosh, that sounds a lot like Mike Campbell, but I really, can't, I can't verify it. There's so many mysteries with this record. We're going to get to another one a little later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, there, yeah, that, 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 I'd never thought about that, and I did not know that. Not that I can recall knowing that, but that does make sense because it's so well enunciated, and it still has sloppiness to it. It's a great guitar hook. Yeah. It, it just feels good. Some good lines in this one too. I like the uh, uh, pressure lips again. Want my mouth full and my hands too. So <laughs> there you go. There you nice go. one. That is a good one. All yeah, right, that's dirty. Uh, oh yeah, sax uh, <laughs> in there too. Did the, I? The witch. I think I heard some sax on this too. You know, I thought I heard a little little sax. There's there's a little sax on this, and I think there was one other one where I heard a little something at the end. Um, of uh, yeah, we'll get we'll get to that here in, in a second. Um, all right, let's get some scores on "Tickle the Tears." I gave uh, it a seven. Okay. And Sorry, Wayne, I jumped right nope. in. Nope. No, and then, jump and right then in. Wayne. I give it a five. I I don't know something about "Tickle the Tears" line kind of. Sounded like some of that cutesy stuff that Paul Westerberg can, can got caught doing kind of after this or right around this time after the. I'm I'm completely okay with the cutesy stuff. I mean, 14 songs is one of my favorite records of all time, so I'm okay with the cutesy stuff. What about Uh, the open season soundtrack? Let's not (laughs) go there. Um, All right, tickle the tears. My score is six. All All right. right. Um, all right, let's move on to nothing. Get us started on this song. Uh, this is one of my favorites. Um, but see, I I was weirdo, man. It wasn't like it wasn't um, it wasn't like Bastards the Young. As much as I love Bastards the Young, those weren't the songs that attracted me to uh, 
to um, the replacements. It was Skyway and within your reach and unsatisfied and stuff like that. Those kind of um, hard on the sleeve, you know, here comes a regular, you know, on and on. And if this was the, you know, that's a feeling that, that, that um, the replacements were always, I mean, my goodness. So it was, it was, you know, nothing makes it easier to be nothing in her eyes. I, I just think that's beautiful. And uh, with where I was at, at the time, um, that, that really resonated going through like my first big breakup. Yeah. You know? Uh, and I, I love that sound that they get, you know, uh, that is something that I think that, um, you know, there's no way of knowing, you know, I don't know the inner workings of that band. Um, I, I kind of have an idea of what, what Paul's good at and, and what Bob was good at and what Tommy, and Chris Mars and on and on, you know? Um, but that sound that they get is, uh, it's like, um, the next generation of, um, um mandolin win you know um where it's more american but it still has that depth of field um and tommy i was blown away with with his approach to that type of song i i just think it's beautiful you know that kind of lazy wide uh heartbreak you know and and wayne earlier you you talked about you know the 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 westerberg influence i felt like this was the first real song on the record where i felt i felt the westerberg influence and not necessarily the replacements westerberg per se but like the solo westberg um and i and i mean that with the highest compliments because i i i love paul um yeah and and there's the slightest of harmonies in this song and and which is probably why this is one of my my top scores because i'm a sucker for the harmonies I think that this would be a fantastic song had they had they cranked up the harmonies a little bit more. There's a like I said, it's it's pretty slight. So um, you know, Matthew, you when you play with Tommy in in September, maybe you can uh, see if you can turn this into a duet, right? <laughs> I think with these types of songs, there's a sweetness that you you don't want to cross, and and sometimes harmonies can take it someplace that that betrays. The, uh, the melancholy um so yeah. like mix wise that's a really delicate thing I, I i actually like everything about the recording and, and the performance and the the way the band approaches it personally I, I don't see any um anything i would change all right i think cool. it's beautiful yeah it's a good song uh, what about you wayne hey and then ben i'm sorry ben you're absolutely right it's the first time i realized like in this record i remember vividly okay, here's a song. Like, this is a song. This isn't just a feeling. Sorry, yeah. Wayne. Sorry. No, not yeah. at all. I I did. And like I say, I will say also that there weren't any, there was only maybe one song that I, 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 I'm i not as big a fan of. I, I, otherwise, I like all the songs on this record. Uh, but this one, to me, like those songs you mentioned, Here Comes a Regular, Skyways, Particularly Unsatisfied, I, mm-hmm. This song reminded me too much of it, and so I guess I lo- I, I felt like I, I lost points for originality because it it definitely even in my notes it says it's like he tried to write his own unsatisfied, and so while it is mm-hmm. a good song and I do enjoy it, those songs that you mentioned those are the songs that I that I was thinking of when I was listening to this. Hmm. Interesting, right? 
So your score on this, Wayne? I gave it a three. Yeah. So we're uh, some of these songs we're definitely listening to a different record. Um, so I'm I've got a, I, I, I gave it a nine. I gave I, it a I, nine. And I I completely <laughs> see that. That like I say, there the I like the songs on here, but there is I definitely got reeled in with the with the with the swagger and the and and the whole Rolling Stones. Because like I said, I think in '93 there were not this there was not a lot of music like this when you think of what was no. on alternative oh, radio right, pop radio yeah. this is this is like a, a throwback this is definitely old you know that 70s blues you know faces rod stewart rolling stones um mm -hmm. it, it's much more like that and so that and that is definitely what i was attracted to on this my, those songs that are much more like that are the ones that got my higher scores with one exception Gotcha. See, I got to say, Wayne, and I hear you, so I'm not, you know, this isn't coming from a combative place, but I think from from being a writer, and but back then I was just finding myself so that it, this would only be like over time when I come to this conclusion. Um, I, I think now about the bravery and the affection that Tommy must have had for what Paul does to do that because you're opening yourself up to that criticism. But I know that in my own experience, the times that I do that, and I do it a lot because I love music so much where I will purposefully tip my hat to the things I love, not because I'm trying to steal them, but because I love them. And yeah. so I think, about, I think about Tommy doing that and it being so fresh, I think it's brave, man. And not only that, I, I don't know if it's a better song than say Skyway, but it's certainly not a worse song. You know what I mean? So I, I hear what you're saying, but I, I think I look at it from a different angle that um, maybe Tommy understood what was special about the replacements more than Paul did. Oh, and that just actually, because you said that, I'm going to ask this question that's been lingering in my mind since we were talking about uh, uh, your new song, Death Days, is the Mary almost felt like a tip of the hat to Bruce Springsteen from The River. No, but I, I get that. Yeah, no, I wasn't thinking about. I was just thinking. I'm a I'm agnostic, um, uh, like like very comfortably agnostic, uh, but I'm fascinated by faith. Um, so it, that it would be a reference to Mary, the Mary. That's and at the end of the song, I started thinking about that too. I thought I had to yeah, ask no, that, it, but, it, but I completely yeah I no. I'm not thinking that he's, I don't, I didn't, and like I say, it's completely understandable that Paul Westerberg would be a huge influence. I mean, he played alongside him for, you know, from the time he was 16. So I, I by yeah. no means think that he's, that he's ripping him off. I think he's truly, I mean, this guy has truly influenced what he does. It only makes sense that it's going to sound a little bit. It's going to have that, that, that sound and feel yeah. to it. Yeah. I, I'll say one last thing and then we'll get some final scores on this but Wayne when you brought up the fact that it's like well I think you were trying to you know do the, your own Skyway or do your own here comes a regular and I remember my friend who introduced me to uh, the the album Tim when here comes a regular came on he was like what the f is this and, he's like, yeah. and, and, I, and I'm like and then I start listening to it I'm like Dude, this is the most punk rock song on the record. Listen to the lyrics. And it's and he's like, you know what? I'm like, um, yeah, you know, we're just calling out your name and 
here comes a regular. Am I the only one who feels ashamed? I mean, this I use I use that one the the first lyric on on my kids on a regular basis where they're like, oh, I don't really want to do my chores. I'm like, I'm so tired. I'm like, well, you know, I'm a person can, can work up a mean thirst after a hard day of doing nothing at all. So I get it. Yeah. Kid, you know. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I. I I think that 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 sometimes it's it's the slower songs like a nothing where that's your most punk rock, but it's it's cool. I, I mean, we we have demonstrated on forty plus episodes now, Wayne, that you and I listen to music differently, and and there is nothing wrong with that. Absolutely not. Yeah. All right. So I'm giving this a nine, Wayne. Uh, three. And then Matthew. <laughs> I gave it a 10. All right. So we're, we're, we're listening a little bit. It's all, it's all good. All right. Here we go. Number seven song. This is Fast and Hard. just going to throw this out right now this is my least favorite song on the record so wayne you're going to have to lead this one off uh well number one i love the title yeah how do you go wrong there um it's got those background shouts in the chorus um and it does have much more of a of of your textbook punk rock feel i mean he even he even throws a a black flag shout out in there um i've got my attitude and my shiny shoes i just this was a this was a a great rock you know like i say it had a a very punk rock feel to it yeah i like fast and hard i do it feels it feels good uh and that's not like a creepy innuendo yeah yeah my comments on this were um seems like a faster pussycat song so um so 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 i'm so i'm not at all surprised why this is one of your favorite songs on the record wayne that guilty as charged. All right. How about, how about Wayne you? likes the rock. Oh yeah. <laughs> I like I, it. I, I like it. I like I like the way it, it it's a it's a good sounding song and it kind of ushers you back in. I think that's the start start of side two. Maybe maybe not. If there were sides, I guess I don't know if they ever actually made it might, this into a real real LP or not. It feels like the re-entry, you know. It's yeah. like, Here, I'm gonna rock some more. You know. All right, let's get some scores on this. I already told you my least favorite song, Wayne. A seven. And then Matthew. I gave it. I gave it a three. All right. Uh, next song. This is the title track. This is Friday Night Is Killing Me.
think it's great. I love this song. This is a great song. Uh, get us started on the conversation, Matthew. I just, you know, I have it scored lower than you would expect. Um, but that, wait, no, 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 no. I have it up in the upper upper mids. Um, but it's, you know, it's the title track. It's probably the first song I heard from the record, I would think. I think it was the first single. I, I could be mistaken. Um, I just love everything about it. It has that kind of soaring, kind of embattled, um, tragic hero thing, you know, uh, that the replacements were so good at. To me, it's like the replacements and the Clash were kind of the same band, um, except one band was um, optimistic and the other one was drunk, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I just, I love the way it feels. I love the guitars. I've, I've heard rumor that Westerberg played all over it. It, it kind of makes sense. Um, I don't know that for, for fact. Yeah. Um, but it spoke to uh, all the stuff that I liked about, and again, but it didn't sound to me. It's like a lot of these things are tips of the hat to Paul and that gang. But it, it, it seemed to me that had this record been received differently, I think that Bash and Pop would have gone on to have almost like a Foo Fighters career. Um, but un unfortunately it kind of played out how it did, you know, they were on, on Sire, I believe. Um, which just, I, I, you know, because that's where the replacements were at the time. So I think that Bash and Pop came out on Sire, and Sire was just a notoriously turbulent label. Um, and, and a lot of people don't know that, like, that plays a big part in why you hear what you hear and why you don't hear other things. Yep. Even still today, um, that plays a big part. I really do feel that uh, it's, it's, it's one of the best rock songs since, you know, the 90s and on i haven't heard have you heard a better rock song uh whew, you're gonna put me on the spot i'm, sh I'm I'll sure i'll put you guys on the spot <laughs> full-on rock song uh um, is that have you have you heard a better rock song in the last what is it now 500 years, years. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, get, get, get back to me here in a second. I'm going to look at some of my, my, some of my playlists and let you know, uh, full on, <laughs> full on rock songs. Hmm. I don't know. Um, best of you by uh, Foo Fighters. I would, I would put that, uh, next to just about any rock song that's out there. Okay. Uh, um, Wayne, anything from Social D that you would put up there? Oh, you know what? I like so much of Social D that I don't, I, I uh, gosh, I mean, uh, I think I was wrong always sticks out to me. Ah, um, exactly what I was going to say, Wayne. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's well, exactly what I would have said. But they got to, there's, there's, I can say, I know so much of their catalog. There's just so, there's just, I like those deeper nuggets like nickels and dimes and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Would you consider Like a Stone by Audio Slave a, a full-on rock song? Or is that too mellow to start out? Oh, I, that wouldn't be the, the Audio Slave track I would pick. I love uh, Cochise. I thought that was a very way to start. Yeah, that's, that's good, too. That's good, too. I don't know. You know, that's uh, we're, maybe we'll, we're going to have to do a deep dive and, and figure out what what are the most important uh, rock tracks in our last twenty years? I don't. That's a that's. There's a heavy, not a lot of them, guys. Yeah, that's a heavy topic. 
we we have we have talked at length. I don't think Wayne and I have, but uh, you know, I, I've got a, a a little group that goes to goes to big big you know rock shows, Pearl Jam and Foo Fighters. I we call ourselves the Foo Crew, but we've talked about how uh, rock music for the most part is dead. Um, and it has been dead for a number of years. Um, and yeah, to, to your point, uh, yeah, I don't, that's, that's a great question. We're going to have to, we're gonna have to table that for, uh, for, uh, another conversation. I think <laughs> I, I was wrong did come to mind for me as well. And I, I love a lot of social D stuff too, but I love those songs that are both smart and have the ability to make you put a fist in the air and indulgently that's, um, for us and, and, and the guys I've been, uh, I think Gaslight's had a few great rock songs. Oh, yeah. um, but indulgently, for me, Boxers, the song Boxers, was my attempt at what I thought was a smart kind of fist in the air rock song. That feeling is important, that kind of, that, that, that feeling, uh, you know, that I was wrong or Friday Night is Killing Me or um, with Gaslight, that handwritten song, I think is a great rock song. I'll, you know, I'll take 59 um, sound. We'll, we'll throw, we'll, yeah. Yeah. We'll throw that on there too. Absolutely. You know, that's, a, that's an important feeling. I, I, I wish that, um, I wish that there'd be a little more of that yeah. songs with fight in them. Oh man. We spent a lot of time talking about Friday night is killing me. How about we get some scores on this? So Wayne, your score. And my score doesn't belie. I mean, this is a big song. It it makes it it, it it's the only one. I, it feels like it makes sense for the title track. I gave it a six, but I I I, I really like the song. Like I say, it has a it has a big feeling to it. Like it like mm-hmm. it can, you can center an album around this song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. This I agree is with my, that, man. This is my ten. This is my second favorite mm-hmm. song on the record. And then Matthew. I gave it a nine. I'll give yeah. it a nine, but again, it doesn't really reflect my feelings about the song. Yeah. You know? All right. Yeah. All right. This is the next song, number nine. This is He Means It. This is probably either our least favorite or next to least favorite. To your point, Wayne, talking about you know taking some of the the replacements uh, vibe, I totally get a nightclub jitters vibe with this song. Uh, hmm. uh, this was so. I mean, it, and I know they've got to be being sloppy on purpose because it's so overdone. Mm-hmm. It almost. <laughs> Yeah. almost has a, this it's almost like he's trying to recreate a song that got them booed off stage when they're drunken days when they come out <laughs> you know and i can say and i just thought what i thought was most remarkable about it is at somewhere at the end someone says that, that was, was way, way better, better. i yeah. thought what the fuck? are you serious i would have hate to heard the take before this 
I, my my comment is this seems like demo take six and they finally just said yeah we're we're good with it um but there's something level about the whole idea that he would because i i can say it was sloppy to the point where it was had to be on purpose and so yeah. it did have it was an endearing quality about that but ultimately it it failed i just that. didn't i just didn't really like the mix on this i i I hear a horn towards the end of the song, like a sax, and it's mixed so low that you can barely hear it. And I just kind of felt like that was a missed opportunity that could have added an extra layer of, of depth to the song. But um, anyways, and I think that the background of the, the mean it and the mean means it um, probably could have been mixed a little bit louder too. So I think it's the, it's really the production that, loses it for me here but um i don't hate the song i just i just felt like there was some production stuff that uh that tanked uh tanked it a little bit for me i think it's a classic setup song it's a transition song it, it plays the role perfectly um i remember years ago a friend and i were talking about a mark eitzel interview that we had read and mark was saying that you know you have to be brave and you have to think make people think you're throwing it away just before you set them up and so because of that, it's a perfect setup song for the next two songs. Um, so I think it I think it, it just serves a purpose. You know, songs and sequences work much the same way. And it, all it is is it's a setup. You're, it's, it's a classic diversionary tactic. <laughs> and, you know, I think it serves its purpose. Um, I didn't even, I mean, yeah, when you say that and then I look at my score for the next song, it makes it makes complete sense. <laughs> it's what happens. Even you know, uh, Blood on the Tracks does the same thing. It, it's a classic album move. Oh, they got no more left in them. Okay, and then whammo, whammy, bammy. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, why albums are great. <laughs> All right, let's championship get... fight. That's it. All right, so what scores are we giving this? I I gave this a two. I, I gave it a one. And then Matthew. I gave it a two. I gave it a yeah. two as well. Even yeah. though I, I respect what they I respect what they did. I do, I get it. All right. <laughs> so perfect setup to next song, which is Tiny Pieces. Best song on the record, in my opinion. Um, 
so this doesn't happen very often, Matthew, but we are all in, in agreement that this is 100 what? Yeah. 100 all three of us. All yes. three of us. Dude, yeah. I'm telling you right now, you put Rod Stewart, if you could put Rod Stewart singing that from 1970, that is a classic song. My my comment on here was, how in the world was this not a single in 1993? Because labels are morons. I don't yeah. I don't get it. This is such a great song. Um, I did find some lyrics <laughs> to this online. I don't know how accurate they are. So before I make a fool of myself, anybody want to take a stab at the words of the chorus? Oh, I, I would just. Say- yeah, it's super simple, but it, it's it's almost like the it's that those lines before the chorus are the ones that got me the, and every word I thought might change your mind was, was choking, choking me. me. The way he says yeah. was choking me. Um, this is I yeah I I this is uh, the best written song on the album. I said Paul Paul had to be proud when he heard this because um, he and I I mean Rod Stewart, I yeah, but I I mean he really just own this song it just there was like say he 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 put it that's, all together hey that's on not this a, one. that's not meant with disrespect that is oh, meant no. with absolute no. I, rod I'm stewart about- would have been lucky to have this song i mean yeah he would have i think i'm sure he would have he would have done just like he did to tom waits downtown train he would have he would have he could have owned this but you got to understand what rock and roll was in the early 70s i'm saying if you take this song and you put it in that period it is a classic song. It would be it would be right up there with Maggie May. I'm absolutely sure of it. Oh, absolutely. I'm not, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that Rod should have sang it. I think Tommy Stinson does a great job singing it. I'm saying if you take that song and you put it in that time period of what rock and roll was and how how connected it was to a generational experience, I think this song stands up next to almost anything from that period. Everything about it is a cumulative experience. The guitars, the band, the feel. The language, the melody, it is just, it's a perfect song. That's why I, that's what I love about guys like Tommy is that they look like they don't care and then they show you they care more than anybody else. It's just, it's, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. I, I, I even saw him at the merch table after the, uh, after his uh, opening act. Um, and I even said, man, I really wanted to hear Tiny Pieces. He was like, oh, thanks, man. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like no, no, no. That was that was my way of saying, dude, that's that's a brilliant song. Play it. Um, you got to so, put so, some makeup on and a wig whenever you want to say something like that to a guy like Tommy. That, and then that, all of a that, sudden, it'll be a conversation. That's true. That's true. I should I should have I should have. Uh, lathered him up a little bit with a drink but i didn't, I didn't do it so. so again see what you can do in new york man just keep the keep the phone rolling um right. so i'm not even going to ask for scores because we are all in agreement this doesn't happen yeah. very often on the podcast but we are all in agreement that this is this is the best song on the record um, anybody listening anybody listening just do us a favor Go find Tiny Pieces by Bash and Pop and give that a listen. And if you don't love that, there is something very, very, very wrong with you. And you should probably stop listening yeah. to music. And you need to seek out. <laughs> seek professional help. Yes. Yeah. All right. This is, uh, this is last song on the record. This is First Steps. Your childhood romance 
This was another one that I couldn't find the lyrics for. Did Wayne, were you able to find it? Yep. You did? Okay. Yeah. I even I went to right Tommy's to Facebook page and I, I requested the lyrics to the song and, um, you know, wasn't successful at all for that. Um, so, so, so give me, give me, give me the chorus on this. What, uh, what, what's he saying here? Oh, I I don't I didn't write them down or anything. It's just, but it's baby take, takes her first step today or whatever. It sounds uh, like uh, you know going out on your own in the world. Um, because yeah. I, the, it's it's I can say I didn't give it I did not give it a high score, um, but I do appreciate what he was trying to do. It just it didn't it didn't it didn't, it didn't I guess all of the. I, I don't know. It just had a too sad, slow tempo thing that that I guess I'd been I've been I've been raveled, you know, razzled up all this time. And I I guess I was I was I didn't like the the way it ended much like a relationship. So so when you were listening to old replacement songs and they ended with something like Skyway, where you're like, uh, that was not the way to end an album. This is bullshit, man. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> in some cases, maybe. Uh, I don't have to think about this shit. Yeah, I've already uh, left home. Why am I? Why would I want to do that? I I loved it. it. It to me, it felt like a throwback to a few of those records where you know they would get ballsy and they would end on you know something like "Here Comes a Regular" or. Um, I know that they didn't, but I'm I'm just saying that that kind of is that sentiment of I just gave you this really great song and now I'm slowing down the tempo a little bit and I'm cool with that. I'm taking you on a little bit of a journey and I like the journey. I'm 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 good with the journey. So yeah. I like this I like this song a lot. I I I gave it an eight. So again, this this. You know, Wayne, you, you and I have been doing this podcast for a number of months now, and every so often I think, yeah, we just agreed on a song, and then the following song, the score totally reflects that, yeah, you and I are different, and this this is this is classic case scenario on that. <laughs> well, like I say, he 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 set him up with with uh, he means it, then he then he comes in with the big haymaker on tiny pieces, and then. I guess I I guess I wanted him to 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 give that death blow, and he went. He the, just... uh, Wayne, the world ends with a whimper, not a bang. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, any any <laughs> last any last comments on both uh, first steps and on the record itself? 
So maybe, I think it's a great rock and roll record. Yeah, absolutely. Did I get Did I get everybody's scores, Wayne? What I was gave your it score two. on this? And then Matthew. You sound a little punch drunk, Ben. You sound a little punch drunk, my man. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I gave it an eight. Yeah, I'm matching your eight. <laughs> I love right. it. I think it's beauty. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's talk about our uh, our top five. So uh, no question about it. What our our top song was that was Tiny Pieces. Uh, number two song, Friday Night is Killing Me. What do you think our our, our third song was? Uh, loose Ends? Uh, loose, loose Ends was tied for fifth with Hang Ups. So nothing, hmm. no, nothing got us an uh, average score of 7.33. Wayne, um, Wayne tanked that one a little bit. Would, would have been higher had he given it more than a three. Um, but never aim to please was our fourth fourth uh, highest song, and that was because mm-hmm. of Wayne. Wayne gave it gave it a nine. So uh, um, yeah, I would say uh, first steps first steps was tied for sixth, and that's all because of Wayne. <laughs> totally tanked, totally tanked it for us. So, I'll never aim right. to please. Yeah. <laughs> Touche. All right. So, did we cover everything? Did we miss anything? No, I think we're good, man. I think I think that's I think that's a good representation too. What it end, how it ends up there. Yeah, I think it was good. Yeah. It's been a pleasure revisiting with you all. So, Matthew, remind our guests where they can find all your happenings. Uh, at grinder.com. <laughs> <laughs> uh do not go there um all right so oh you know just search matthew ryan music and it's every you know come and find me yeah (laughs) you're you're on the facebook you're on the instagram you're uh let's see your your website matthew ryan online is that right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah yep yep all right. Yep. Uh, so as a as a reminder for us, you can find us on Facebook as well under the Records Revisited podcast. We're on Instagram using Records Revisited podcast hashtag. Uh, please go review us on Apple uh, Apple Podcast. We're on Stitcher, Podomatic, Castbox, etc. So one last question for you, Matthew, and I'm lifting yeah. this question from a fellow podcaster here in Orlando who does the Scotch and Good Conversation podcast. So mm-hmm. who do you who do you know that I don't know who would want to join us on the podcast to talk about one of their favorite records? Man, um, who do I know that you don't know? Yeah. You know, you ought to have Joe, Joe Hill on, the writer. Okay. Um, yeah, you should try and get Joe on. He, he loves music. Joe's got a bunch of books out and he, he's got a show on AMC right now called Nosferatu. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Joe's, Joe's um, a huge music lover and really, really enthusiastic talker about music. We, we love I think our, you guys would all get along. Yeah, awesome. We love, we love our writers. I've got Willie Vlotten coming on here in a couple of weeks and uh, yeah. already had Jonathan Evison on which was just that was one of my favorite favorite episodes, <laughs> Wayne. Um, Jonathan's a hoot. 
All right. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. Go to a live show. Buy a t-shirt of the band. Buy a record. Visit a record store and not just on record store day. We are records revisited and we are out. Out. out.